Hi everyone and welcome to the Tindal Talks. This is the Tindal Center's official podcast. I'm Renee from the Tindal Center at the University of East Anglia. And today we are going to talk about the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change or the UNFCCC and specifically the 26th Conference of Parties or COP. So this year, the UK will be leading the 26th meeting of countries this November, and this is six years after the Paris Agreement was signed. So we have a lot of questions, you know, for example, why is this year's conference important? What do we need for countries to commit to this year? How can we say that the COP is a success? And how do we expect the UK to lead the conference? Today, we have Dr. Anela Angerker-Avi of the Climate Change Policy Group at the University of Cambridge to talk to us about COP26. Just a reminder that everything in this podcast recording is the personal view of our guest and does not reflect any institution that she works for. So welcome, Anela, to the Tindal Talks. Hello, and thank you for having me. Thank you. So before we go on deep diving into COP and UNFCCC, can you please introduce yourself a bit and the work that you do and maybe how you started working on climate policy? Yeah, thanks. That's, um, it's, it's, it goes a long way um, back. So it was in um, when I started my master's, um, I got interested in climate policy and climate change. Um, back home in Estonia, and um, then there were no no supervisors or no lectures in that. So, and then I got interested in this. I started reading papers myself, did my master thesis on climate change, and then I wanted to also I wanted to do my master thesis on climate change. But as I say, there were no supervisors. I applied for Cambridge to do to work on uh, with uh, with uh, Dr. Terry Parker on climate change and climate change, how climate change policies impact economies. Um, so it started this way. So um, before that, I was interested in the issue. I was consulting companies who were interested in climate change, but I felt I didn't have enough knowledge. So um, so I happened to come to Cambridge and I'm here now um, having my own research group on climate policies. Uh, recently focusing on uh, on more on social impacts of climate policies, um, uh, not just uh, uh, on technologies and and economic on GDP and other economic impacts. So, um, and while I started working on climate change policies and climate change economics, also um, I was. Um, I was in touch or in contact with my own government back home and they were the ones to invite like me to to attend my first COP as an expert and that was in 2009. And I've been uh, joining COPs since then. Um, So before Estonia, the European Union uh, presidency, Council, uh, we call it the presidency, but it's a presidency of the council. Um, so then um, I was asked um, to become a government advisor. And then I also, on international climate change, and I agreed, uh, switched half time working in Cambridge, joined the government, joined the civil service. Um, 
So, and I've been working uh, with them since then. So during the presidency, Estonian presidency of the European Union, we, uh, I was uh, advising, um, I was advisor to the council uh, on, on international climate policy. Um, so I'm, I'm working on science issues um, still um, in the EU and also on response measures. And the response measures are, um, what are they? They're, they're, it's a bit of a funny name. Response measures are everything to respond to climate change. So it's uh, reduce emissions, um, uh, indices, uh, for example, are responses to, to climate change. So, um, and um, these are my two negotiating areas, uh, what I'm doing on, on behalf of the European Union and, and its 27 member states. Uh, uh, started then and still working on these issues. Um, now I've just like a little bit sort of got more responsibilities on leading the EU uh, EU, ne uh, EU negotiations on on response measures and on issues related to IPCC. Um, so that's sort of briefly uh, uh, and and also like I've been. I've been elected as vice chair to the one of the subsidiary bodies of UNFCCC and also elected as uh, and until last year I was a vice chair uh, and there was a subsidiary body on scientific and technological advice so it's very relevant for, for the work the Tindall Centre is doing so that means that how the convention of the parties and parties meet the conference of the parties meets how they how they uh, consider uh, consider science, because everything we do, as the convention says, needs to be on the best available science. Be it needs to be based on the best available science. So, um, and uh, and the, since 2019, I'm a co-chair of a constituted body called KCI, and that's a Katowice committee of experts on the implementation, on the impacts of the implementation of response measures. So, and as mentioned before, we're looking at the impacts of climate policies, uh, actions, measures, uh, mitigation actions, adaptation actions, um, and how they affect countries and what we can do to mitigate the negative impacts that also include social impacts and maximize the positive impacts of climate policies. So, I think it was a very long introduction, <laughs> to myself, but this is basically what I'm doing. Briefly, I'm doing research, I'm a negotiator, and I'm also leading uh, a co-leading a constitutive body under the UNFCCC, and also I'm facilitating negotiations if I'm asked to do so by the chairs uh, of the <laughs> subsidiary bodies. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I do. Well, Anella, it seems that you've been doing a lot of work over the last decade um, and more even. And and it's good because you have, you know, you sort of have different positions in, in the government, in the UN, also doing research at, at Cambridge. I think some of our audience or maybe most of our audience actually are not are not actually aware of, you know, what the UNFCCC is, what happens in this COP. Uh, why do countries have to meet every year? Um, and so I guess my first question is, why is this yearly meeting important? It's a very good question. And it's a very good question also to remind ourselves of the convention. The, the UNFCCC, um, that's a convention, framework convention. It's an agreement. 
that where countries promise to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions to to avoid uh, dangerous anthropogenic climate change. Um, that that convention is one of the three Rio conventions and took effect in 1994. So it's the sort of first time when the problem was recognized and countries said, okay, we have to take action to limit the global warming to a degree that is not dangerous to humans and nature. So, and COPs, so-called, now it's a COP26 in Glasgow, COPs are conferences of the parties to that convention. So, Convention is like a framework that um, we, where we promise to do. Some of it is slightly outdated already because science has developed. But, um, and then the parties meet twice a year. Uh, there's also a meeting in June, May, June every year, where the subsidiary, two subsidiary bodies meet, they're doing the technical work. Uh, one is the subsidiary body for scientific and technological advice. Another one is subsidiary body for implementation. So it's the two, two bodies they meet uh, and then they do technical works during summertime. And COPS, as they, this COP uh, is the supreme body uh, of the of the con uh, convention, and and they meet once a year. And the meeting place rotates between the UN uh, five UN regions. And this time, this year will be in in COP and. And usually the country who hosts the COP, that hosts the COP, um, um, has the presidency also of that meeting. So they're leading. They have the leadership. They What does it mean is they trying, they have their own, some, they set some goals and then they try to achieve those goals. Um, so, um, and they're trying to also be, be the facilitators between the different countries that are parties to, to the convention. So we also have the Paris Agreement. And the same conference of uh, parties um, serves as a meeting also of the parties uh, of the Paris Agreement. So that's one meeting. And then subsidiary bodies also do that do technical work. They also meet at COPS. So there are kind of, you can imagine there are like a many parallel meetings going on. And they are important. Why COPS are important and why are the meetings that of why do we need to meet? Um, yeah, you want to see your friends, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we meet. Um, not 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 exactly. Actually, there's also like as I said, the convention sets um, um sets a sort of, it's a framework, and under that now we have to actually decide what to do. Sometimes we fail. Like if you think of the Kyoto Protocol, that was agreed we didn't achieve what we really wanted to achieve. Um, so now we have the Paris Agreement that guides us. Um, so and we have to agree what we do, how to do, what is our what are our action based on, how much we do, who is doing what. Um, so this is why we need to meet and agree. The COPS, um, our listeners might also know that, or just also or have their own sort of views on COPS that they don't do anything. The progress is really slow. Um, but you have to think that if you have so many countries, we have just just like little under 200 countries as a part of the uh, convention and trying to work on consensus. And they have, of course, different views, different needs, um, different political circumstances at home. So, of course, the progress is slow, but we're doing our best. 
Um, and you can argue that the best is not a, not good enough, but that's where we are and we're trying. And this is where the leadership, like the UK leadership for this CSCOP is really important because you know, they can do a lot to influence the progress, set the sort of levels of, set the goals and, and have be ambitious and so on. So that's, um, that's, that's probably why these meetings are important. Uh, question you might also ask, Renem, you might have a question whether we stop having COPs once we solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Probably not, but they will be much less frequent. So we still need to take stock of we doing. Yeah. We still need, we'll have new problems will be popping up. Um, so there's still need for meeting, but maybe, mm. maybe not every year anymore at that point. So mm. we'll see. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier about goals, ambitions, priorities, and I think some of the people, you know, COP uh, 21 in Paris was such a big deal. You know, it was all over the media and everyone said, you know, this is a victory for we've been waiting for this agreement for such a long time. And a lot of people are asking, you know, what happens now after Paris? What do you meet what about? What do you talk about? And specifically in, in COP26, what do, we, what do we expect? You know, what, what are the priorities of the UK leadership? That's a very good question again, Rene. You have really good questions. Um, so we had, yeah, we had Paris Agreement um, in 2015. Um, there was an agreement. It's a similar to a convention. It's just an agreement. But if you look at the Paris Agreement, there's nothing about how the question, that doesn't answer the question, how are we going to do that? And this is why, like, it took now until this year, indices are coming in force this year only, and we had time until now to put together a rule book. So that, that's the that of how we're going to achieve the goals that are in the Paris Agreement. So uh, what, we, what, what do the countries need to do to mitigate, to reduce their emissions? What do they need to do to adapt? Because um, even if we stopped all greenhouse gas emissions just now, the impacts will still continue. And they will continue because we have committed to change already. So the warming will be still a bit more than one, one and a half degrees uh, in near term. And, and even if we did like everything we could now because of the inertia of the climate system. So we still need to adopt because there'll be some re residual impacts, some damages that this 1.5 degrees will cause around that. Um, to so we need to talk. Then we need to talk about, you know, it's not a cheap um, to do all this transformation and all this um, to adopt to changing conditions. It's not cheap, but some countries are not rich enough or don't have enough money. They still need to take care of their their own development and to make sure that they they people have no hunger, that they have everything they need to have a decent life. So. Who's going to fund this? That's not a big question. So, um, how we can redistribute the money between developed and developing countries? Can we have the hundred billion uh, every year, hundred billion for climate change from developed countries to developing countries? Um, how we going to do that? Will it? Will it be? Is it enough? Um, 
all these kind of questions we're still we're still talking about and and uh, putting together the rule book and we're still talking so this year particularly at glasgow we haven't finished the rule book we're supposed to finish it um couple of years ago, or at least in Madrid, that was in 2019. We had no COP uh, due to the COVID pandemic last year. Uh, we had some talks. We were talking online, discussing things, but did not take any decisions. So, so we need to finalize the rule book. We're behind with that. So there are a couple of things we have not agreed uh, as parties to the convention or as parties to the Paris Agreement, not to the Convention, but particularly the Paris Agreement, because the rule book is uh, Paris Agreement's rule book, and it's called Katowice rule book. So that was when almost finalized the rule book in Katowice. At least we got most of it together when we had a COP in Katowice uh, in 2018. Um, so, and, um, so we have to finalize the rule book, Despite the Paris Agreement is now is actually started, the action has started because uh, it's the first year of indices. Uh, what we haven't finished is the two main things. Uh, like one is how do we trade emissions between between countries? So um, the, the, these rules are not in place, and we have not agreed how we can report uh, emissions and the emission reductions. So, and, and these are people who have probably heard there's like the tr trading is so-called Article 6 and the discussion is around that. And, um, and the reporting is enhanced uh, transparency framework. So it's a good name to that transparency is what we need. We need to know who is doing what, where the emissions go, uh, which emissions are reduced by how much, which ones are still there, which ones are still growing. So looking at now, if you look at sort of, uh, science and now the recently released IPCC Working Group 1 report, and you can see that actually the emissions are not declining, the concentrations are not declining. So um, we need more ambition. So, and that's the, also the, um, one of the goals of the UK presidency is to, to work together with uh, governments, with businesses, with civil society, so that we can start acting seriously to enhance the ambition. And of course, they and for that we need to be sure that we can that 1.5 is not out of reach. Um, so uh, that um, uh, there's climate neutrality uh, or uh, by 2050. So that means, in other words, there's all emissions that greenhouse gas emissions that we add to the atmosphere, we also take all of them out. Either by natural means, that means forestry land use, or we develop some technologies that take them out. So that's kind of, and after that, after 2050, the emissions uh, also according to IPCC have to be negative. So we take more out of the atmosphere of greenhouse gas than we put them in. So, and as I mentioned before, uh, the rules, what we're talking is adaptation is still important because we have committed to some damages already and we need to, to help the nature to adapt. Um, and it's not just people who suffer, it's also the climate change is one of the main reasons for, for extinction um, of species. 
and also people just you know make sure that to adapt make sure that we have flood barriers make sure that our infrastructure is strong enough uh, uh, make sure that uh, we can still grow crops, um, that we have uh, relevant cultures or we have um, um, irrigation systems in place. So it's it's um, so that's these these also uh, UK some of the UK goals um, and also to do all of that. Uh, finance is important. That's another thing that they're paying attention. So it is kind of they their goals are like to get everything working and be ambitious and finalize the rule book so that we we have the rules in place and we can act and we act ambitiously and we have money for that. So it's nothing um, new, I'm saying, but it's to achieve it is not very easy and the answers are very good to keep sort of these goals in mind and uh, yeah so thing, uh, and also like um one thing i'd like to mention it's not um probably one not a, one of the main goals but uh, the uk will have the presidency will have a just transition day um and just transition uh, is really important concept well just because in order to to uh, limit the, um, global warming to to below two degrees, um, and if we can to to get the you know to limit to get closer to 1.5, we need really rapid change. And some people might suffer. Uh, some might, might lose jobs. Um, families might lose income, and so on. So hence, like we have to make sure that this rapid unprecedented transition uh, that we have to go through won't leave anyone behind. Um, and of course, there will be it. Let's say it needs to be as just as possible, because, you know, to say that it will be completely without any um, harm to to people is probably not not right thing to do. But if you think in advance, you can minimize the impacts as much, you know, as much as possible. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, from what you've shared to me, there's a lot of work actually that needs to be done post Paris. Um, it's not, it doesn't end in the signing of the agreement, but in countries actually acting, you know, what, on what they've promised. Um, and speaking of that, Obviously, in the last few years, one of the biggest things that happened was that President Trump was elected, former President Trump, and the U.S. resigned from the Paris Agreement. But earlier this year, with the new President Biden, they're now back in the agreement. And, you know, a lot of climate advocates were cheering, were very happy. Um, and, of course, the U.S. is a big player when it comes to the UNFCCC. So with them back in the agreement, do we expect a difference in, in terms of diplomacy, policies? How is this going to affect the negotiations? Yeah, it's, it's really great to have the U.S. back, of course. Um, I'm sure that all my um, colleagues uh, from the convention would agree. Um, it's great to have them on board. Um, fully on board. The US was, because if you remember, Anna, then the US left the convention only last year, so in November. So they haven't been out for a very long time. 
So up to then, they did not negotiate, not the convention, sorry, they never left the convention, the Paris Agreement. Uh, they were still in the convention. Um, and up to then, they were actually still negotiating, but they were kind of, um, if I may say so, they took the backbench, so they were a bit quieter. Not as ambitious as they used to be during the uh, Obama government. Um, so, or, or Obama administration. Um, so it's um, so their missions actually did not increase much during the uh, during the um, Trump um, presidency. So they ambitiously back. Uh, they made a promise to reduce their emissions by. Uh, to 50 to 52 percent by 2030. Um, it's an I've been asked sometimes, and our listeners might also wonder that or oh, why that's 50 to 52 percent. What why is that's a bit funny, isn't it? The two percent is equal to Belgium's emissions. It's not small because it's so small. It's a large country. US is a large, large uh, country. So hence, like the promise um, uh, is is very good. Uh, they actively back. Um, also, they're great advocates of just transition, what I'm happy for. Um, so, and um, yeah, so very we're expecting what's changes in diplomacy. The one of the leaders is back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the dynamics is not, you know, we can somehow feel and see it. But I think we will know more when the, actually the parties meet, mm. because the online meetings and it's a bit different. Um, so we 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 get the proper feeling what this what Biden administration is about when it comes to international climate change when when we actually meet. Um, so there will be a pre-COP. We're happening very soon. This uh, usually not all parties to the convention or to the Paris Agreement attend those. That will happen in Milan um, from the 30th of September until 2nd of October. Uh, there'll be um, 35 to on from 20, 35 to to 40 countries attending that meeting. Um, or expected to attend. Um, we'll get more feeling feel about that, what comes from there. Uh, currently, it seems very promising. Um, so, yeah, I think the leaders, one of the leaders is back. We don't know, we have don't have the exact feeling how others react, how others speak players and you know, what, what might be the reaction from others. We don't know that yet, but, but um, I'm really positive and um, yeah, so it's great to have them back. They went actually; they didn't leave properly, never, but have them back more, sort of uh, more actively. Yeah, well, that sounds really promising. Um, it's always good to have countries uh, to to work together, uh, especially a big countries like the U.S., where you know, as you mentioned, they have bigger emissions, um, and to have more ambition from countries like them, it's always a good sign, isn't it? Um, in terms of, you mentioned earlier about just transition and no one being left behind. So there are calls from some Global South groups, some countries, to further delay the COP, given the pandemic, and that many of them will not be able to travel and participate in the negotiations. Um, so how can the UN make sure that these Global South voices are heard? 
This is a very good point again. Um, firstly, like I think they have very valid concerns. Uh, they all have. Because getting all these people coming from many different countries together, you don't know you don't know how this is going to impact, um, you know, people's health. Um, and that's that's one of the priorities, you know, for, for everyone that the delegates don't get sick, that they are. And we don't know, like, you know, there are new variants of the virus. We don't know which one might be brought in um, all that. Um, so there's a hybrid format that's been proposed. So, the, you know, there have been talks about hybrid format, the people who don't feel safe. It's it's not just about being vaccinated, but also not feeling safe. Then they, their countries can decide that, you know, they participate via online means. Um, um, so it's um, probably the same if if uh, Global South, um, some countries there feel that they cannot or don't feel safe enough to attend in person, then there will be, um, as far as I know, will be uh, ways of attending the COP uh, remotely, um, so it won't be such a big problem. Um, the UK has kindly offered um, vaccine to everyone who would like to take it up and have um, two days before. Also, uh, yeah, there, there's a, you know, if anyone wants to come, I don't know exactly how it will be organised, I'm not, not sure about that, but if someone wants to come in a bit of, maybe a bit earlier and uh, and just to spend a couple of extra days, probably that might also be possible. Just make sure that they didn't get sick while traveling and so on. Um, in short, I don't think it's going to be easy. On the other hand, we really need some kind of physical meeting. Um, it's not about people traveling um, uh, and me wanting them to travel. But negotiations is a process where where a lot of work is done in corridors. And if you do online, like we're talking now, we don't have the corridor to go. So it's it's uh, you still can use on other means, but because of the time differences uh, between countries participating, it makes it very difficult. Um, also, like a good example I can give you is an issuance of documents, or drafts, draft documents. So when we finished we, uh, one of our meetings in, um, in May, uh, we issued a draft um, now after we finished the meeting. And then we met again. And of course, like some people were sleeping during that time, that was between issuing the draft and meeting again and had no time to look at this. So if if everyone is more or less is in everyone is in the same time zone, then at least these issues won't be there. So the documents say so everyone is there, uh, and they can just work in there because they're in the same um, same time zone. Um, on the other hand, if some people, these are my own thoughts. If some people like um, participate. Um, remotely, that will probably put quite a lot of burden on others who are there in person. Because they will be asked to to talk to someone or to, to arrange things on behalf of those who don't, who are not there. 
Um, another interesting thought I have about this uh, after two, two and a half years not seeing each other. Um, it's, um, it can go really well because we're also happy to see each other, but it can have this different impact also that because we have to pick up where we stopped and despite the online talks, there's still some dynamics and just between people, just, you know, it can go, might not go as, as I hope that everyone will be really happy and ready to work and wants to meet again, but yeah. Yeah, so it seems like there's going to be a lot of challenges really to make sure that, you know, everyone, even the Global South countries will be able to participate fully. And I guess this is where the UK leadership will be tested as the president of this COP. So how do you think the UK should lead this COP? Um, are they, you know, pushing for anything policy-wise um, in terms of the process as well? Is there anything that the UK government can do to help make this process better for everyone, I guess? The process-wise, um, yeah. So they they putting a lot of effort into making sure that there's, uh, that um, that all views are heard. Um, so um, they're also making sure that all the um, safety arrangements are in place. So the people there's uh, the limiting number of people who can attend. Of course, they don't have too many people. Um, uh, Allowing remote access, um, drink, and that's and being very encouraging because uh, throughout this year, or even starting last year, the UK presidency has been very active, talking to all parties, uh, listening uh, to their concerns. So that has been very helpful, and it will continue to be helpful. And even then, it's not going to be easy, for sure. But they have done a lot. So the reaching out has been really what they have been, that's my own experience, um, reaching out regularly, listening, sharing, uh, being trying to facilitate uh, between different parties and groups of parties. Um, so I think they've been doing great given the very difficult circumstances. Um, and sort of about the goals and ambition, we, we discussed that earlier, so really make sure that the rule books gets in place and ambition is enhanced across the world. Yeah, uh, it's good to know that the, the UK government is doing its very best uh, to make sure that everyone is heard. I think that's a, a very good um, a very good action, actually, uh, as, as president of COP. And I guess as we're nearing the end, um, another question would be, how do we say that this COP would have been a success? You know, how can we say that, wow, we've achieved a lot in this meeting? How can we say? So uh, one of the things definitely a sign that has been successful is by, by when by the end of the COP we have a decision on on how to trade emissions and how to report um, the uh, emission reductions and remaining emissions so that these all these formats these procedures all agreed um, the rules are in place that's great and if you have more countries promising um, to do more 
on climate change. That means more countries enhancing um, their um, nationally determined contributions and disease, the actions at home, and also more countries submitting very ambitious uh, long-term strategies. So that's that's one of the one of those good sign. And also, if the COP works, like if it if it all if it you know if everyone feels that they had they were had a chance to talk and be in, in in there, that's not the usual. That's sort of very particular for this COP. If if everyone feels that they were heard, um, that would be a very good sign. Um, so and uh, I think. I think that is one of the main things as we very quickly moving towards um, the first global stock take. So we need these rules in place. Um, that will, will happen in 2013. So we're already starting with uh, preparing for the technical work and collection, collecting the information and so on. So it's really important that we get the rule book finished and start moving properly working uh, with with everything we need for, for taking stock. And as the name says, it's a global stock take. And it's a global, it's not finger pointing exercise. It's um, just to take stock to see how we've been doing, what else needs to be done. Are we on the right path or are we not? And here the science is again really important. And the work of IPCC and IPCC is particularly important for the convention because uh, it synthesizes uh, the research findings and assesses um, whether they are um, uh, they, whether they are we can trust them and what are the confidence levels around them. So if there's one paper, it's not as trustworthy as like if there are many independent studies um, having the same result. It doesn't mean that the one paper is not worth anything. But we can more rely on those where we have more independent studies. So it helps us sort of the convention also the understand when we work the science better and have better input. And because the input is synthesized for us, so we don't need to read all this 14,000 papers that were included to the working group one report. Um, so hence we are, you know, the the people working in, uh, in, in negotiations are very grateful to IPCC for all this information, um, because our work needs to be based on the convention work needs to be based on the best available science, and and there where IPCC is really really valuable and they input. And all researchers, of course, who contribute, whose papers are included or not included even. But who everyone who works on climate change that's very very important for the climate convention as well yeah well i think we will look forward to what's going to happen uh in cop and after cop we will definitely look at you know how how you're going to negotiate trade emissions and the rule book um it's going to be interesting and I think just before we end, I always like to end the question about, you know, what can our listeners do? A lot of our listeners always ask us, okay, so all of these things are happening, but what actions can we do? So what can our listeners do to participate in, in COP? If you want to participate in COP, I think there are two, two questions or two things. One is what you can do to to contribute to climate change mitigation uh, and and 
also adaptation if needed, but mostly mitigation to avoid the worst impacts. And the other question is how you, how do you get your voice heard um, at COPS? Um, so to get your voice heard at COPS is, is really the action at home is really important. What to do here, uh, you know, as, as a, what people do as a civil society, uh, as businesses uh, is really important because um, many countries go to COPS with the pre-agreed positions. And these positions are um, usually agreed around a month before the meeting. So before that, uh, reaching out, reaching out to local MP, um, doing um, um, sort of all climate action, all like, um, you know, making sure that the government hears their voice um, before they go um, to those meetings. Also, you know, the question when the elections, who do you elect, either at local elections or uh, at the parliament level, um, so elect people who actually care about the climate and take it seriously, uh, the problem seriously, because um, I think that if ever, anyone wants to, and if anyone wants to know more, please read the working group, um, IPCC working group, one recent report that was released on the 9th of August. Uh, if you don't have time, just read the summary for policymakers. If you don't have even less time, just read the headline statements and you see that we're not doing well. And I think it's a serious warning sign. Um, so and and also that even if we did our best now, we will still temporarily overshoot the one 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 five degrees. So there'll be still more warming in the climate system than. Uh, than 1.5 degrees, and but if we do really well, we can we have a chance to limit it to 1.5 by the end of this century. So read that. If you have more time, read the technical summary. If you and if you have nothing else to do and you have plenty of time, read the entire report. Um, 12 chapters and um, and there are how many thousands of uh, pages to read because the final report is not out yet. What you can do at home. Um, and it still puzzles me a lot. And when I look at my friends as well, we know what we need to do. Uh, we know that we need to, the things we can do. Um, switch off lights in the rooms you're not in. Do we do it? Mm, not much. It just takes a little bit of effort. I tried it myself. I got into that habit now, that when I leave the room, I switch off the lights. When If I'm not in a room, the lights are switched off. Um, it's not so difficult, but to somehow the difficult part of it is just to get into that habit. Um, and um, the other thing is um, 25 to 30% of all uh, food uh, produced is either lost or wasted. Another thing you can do. Uh, and it's not very difficult. Just make sure that you don't, you know, waste food. Be inventive, just if you have any leftovers, reuse them, use them as for lunch. Again, seems very obvious, but not many people do it. Um, so, um, and to that 25 to 30%, uh, sort of around 9% of uh, global emissions as associated with. So it's, um, it's quite a big, big, a big, um, 
peak amount of global emissions, greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with food lost or wasted. Um, so you can do that easily. Um, then if you have any stuff, um, local supermarkets go and see that, you know, they they not, these days have this um, clearance shelves. You can see that what's like, what 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 is the food that when the best before date is about to um, expire or, you know, or close or is today and see whether you can get some of that food. You can freeze some of that. And and sort of little things. And I know there's sort of very creative ideas also in London when people actually have fridges, communal fridges, and share their food. And and that's all great. But at the same time, we, you know, if we can just avoid that, like that loss, then we also with that, without increasing food production, we could feed the people who are actually in hunger. And there's around 750 million. Um, so, and if you don't need increased land use for food production, then we can use the land for, for example, producing biocrops and for biofuels and, and biomass. Um, so, I don't, yeah, using public transport or walking or, you know, the UK is quite good. Public transport is relatively good to move from places, so, but not many countries have that luxury. So, just um, simple things. You know, don't buy new stuff. Use the one near the stuff you have as long as you can. If you buy new clothes, buy a very good quality one that they can last longer. And, and very, very simple things, but people don't still don't seem to be having that mindset that this is actually what we need to do and that what helps. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone, and, and then the other question I often get is, oh, but, you know, it's just me. And the amount of greenhouse emissions I produce is so so little. And when I reduce them, it's even you know the reduction is so small. It doesn't matter. So I don't do that. But if you put this small thing together, small redu emission reductions, then that makes difference. So every action matters, and we have to we have to like take it seriously. Every action matters. You know. Um, and every kilo of greenhouse emissions matters. Every ton matters. Uh, we just—it's just—I think we have gone a bit wrong. By the way, I've started focusing on gigatons instead of like kilos and tons. Mm -hmm. um, so that actually has shifted the responsibility a little bit away, and we're not in a mindset that uh, that what we do matters, but it does matter a lot. Well, thank you for that, Anela. I think that's a very inspiring end to this podcast episode. Um, you know, to our listeners, um, you've heard Anela. There's lots of things you can do uh, at home in your own houses. You know, reduce food waste, uh, switch up your lives, and also engaging with your MPs, with your uh, local ministers, as well as electing officials who are. Uh, caring for the climate so there's many things we can do to participate in you know the in helping uh, in helping with climate action um, and I hope that you've gained a better understanding as well of the UNFCCC and COP uh, so thanks Anela again for coming to this episode thank you thank you for listening and we can do do it together yeah, thank you. We're looking and forward to a successful conference in Glasgow. And thank you, Renan, for having me. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening to us today, and we hope to see you in our next episode of the Tindal Talks. <laughs>